there's something very appropriate uh, right around the turn of the new year to be thinking about ways in which we can perhaps reshape ourselves, reshape our lives for the better. And one book that may be indeed a very helpful resource for you toward such an end is a brand new book called The Habit Trip, a fill-in-the-blank journey to a life on purpose. The book is written by Sarah Hayes Coomer, who is a Mayo Clinic certified wellness coach, a certified personal trainer, and a nutrition and wellness uh, consultant with the American Fitness Professionals and Associates, the uh, author of two previous books, Physical Disobedience, an Unruly Guide to Health and Stamina for the Modern Feminist, and Lightness of Body and Mind, a Radical Approach to Weight and Wellness. This new book is published by Running Press, and again it is titled The Habit Trip, a fill-in-the-journey-blank journey to a life on purpose. Sarah Hayes Coomer, we welcome you to The Morning Show. Thanks so much for having me, Greg. I'm excited to be here. I think one of the things I especially appreciated about your book is that very early on, you said very clearly uh, who this book is not intended for. That is, there are, are certain people in certain places in their lives where this book is really not what speaks to them. If you would permit me to just read this uh, paragraph, you write, This journey is not intended to conquer the rugged terrain of trauma or abuse. Moving through that kind of territory is a challenge that requires the care and safekeeping of a trained guide. This book is not intended to cure serious substance abuse either. It's not therapy. It's a straightforward process of teasing out frustrating habits and playing with them to see what else might be possible. I really love the way you uh, phrase that, uh, but I'm really anxious to hear a little more about why you felt like that kind of word of caution was important to share at the outset of this book. Well, there's a big difference between handling trauma and trying to um, enrich our lives. Um, So, you know, we've all been taught to believe that change is a difficult, painful process of primarily focusing on manipulating or depriving our bodies. And this book is all about play and exploration. Um, it's inspired by my love of Shel Silverstein and Dr. Seuss and Roald Dahl. And um, so I just, I felt it was really important to um, help people understand that if they're facing a real trauma, um, they're not going to be able to just kind of uproot that and find their way through it using this book or even by themselves, and that it's just really important to hold space for that and to allow them to find or encourage them to find a professional to help. Mm. I really, again, appreciate the fact that you take the time to say that, and, and you say it so well. So uh, if it's not for people in that situation, of course, it is uh, intended for a whole lot of other people. Many of us, in <laughs> fact, could probably profit from this book. When you think about who would most benefit from reading The Habit Trip, who first comes to mind for you? Well, I, I wrote it with um, nurses and uh, teachers in mind, in my heart. My my mom was a nurse, my dad a teacher. So um, it was 
it was for anyone who feels like they are a caregiver. This would involve, you know, parents, um, any, anyone who's in a caregiving position who is um, looking for ways to, who feels stuck, who has wanted to make a change and has been unable after trying again and again and again to do it. And this just offers a different, more playful way to figure that out. You mentioned that uh, as you wrote this book, uh, you were or are 43 years old. And you kind of talk about how that is an interesting place to be in one's life. And it was an interesting place for you to be in terms of being positioned to write this particular book. Tell us more about what being 43 has to do with the writing of this book and the way in which it took shape. Yeah, well, I think that that age between sort of 35 and 55 is this time when you've been going, you've been at it, you've been, you know, you're trying to build a family or a career or whatever it is that you've you've been trying to work on your whole life, and you might have arrived at a place where maybe things aren't quite as you hoped, or there are areas of life that are feeling left behind. And so this this really gives you a place to land. So you can say, okay, I call it pinning your location in the book. So where am I? What's working? What's not working? And then what do I want to do about the things that aren't working? And at that sort of midlife time, there's so many things going on that it's really difficult to step back and try to figure out where that is. So this helps you do that. One of my favorite parts of the book is when you, and this is again towards the very beginning, you talk about some of the ways in which we sort of frame our understanding of who we are and how we fit into the world. And uh, we often uh, label ourselves and certainly probably even more so label others in fairly simple fashion that so-and-so is such-and-such, and so-and-so is such-and-such. And, and some of those assumptions and understandings can be right on the money and others not so much. But what you tell us is to think about some of the assumptions that maybe should not be made about ourselves. You write, there are also some assumptions that you've painted on throughout the years that aren't so useful. Assumptions about how someone like you can or cannot be. You slather on a layer of not smart enough, Paint the trim with some too fat for that and touch it up with a healthy splatter of that's just the way I am. The paint has dried now and it's peeling. (laughs) Tell us more about why you (laughs) wanted to choose this particular image to describe the assumptions we make about ourselves and how some of those assumptions can really get in our way. Yeah, well, that's, well, first of all, it's so fun to hear you read that. That's really fun for me. Um, it's that's the one of the first images that we start with in the book. So there's this is this whole journey that we take through this um, oh the places you'll go inspired storybook. So there's um, you begin at the beginning in your body house, which is that's the first introduction of it right there. So you are in in your life a literal body house. Your house your body is your house that you live in, and there's no escaping it. So the question is. How are you doing the upkeep? <laughs> How are you keeping the foundation solid? And what is the paint feeling like? And does it need a, you know, an upgrade? Um, so it was really important to me to try to um, allow people to understand that in a way that was, that was going to be really visual and visceral um, so that they could begin to think about what some of those elements are that they might want to change. I really like that image, and I can see how it would be very, very helpful. For those of you just joining us, 
I'm speaking with Sarah Hayes Coomer about her book, The Habit Trip, a fill-in-the-blank journey to a life on purpose. Uh, I don't need to tell you, of all people, that a whole lot of books, at least vaguely like this, have been written before. I mean, we are in some respects (laughs) drowning in such books. And I should think one of the real challenges for someone who wants to write still another such book is to write something that will be truly distinctive. Uh, And I think you've really done that. But I would really be curious to know what you thought about in terms of trying to craft this book in such a way uh, that it would really matter and really say something distinctive that has not been said before? You know, I just, I have read so many of those books, um, both as part of my academic studies and just as a human being trying to feel better and heal. And I just got so tired of everything being so hard and being so um, miserable (laughs) that like, oh, we have to quit all the things. And I wanted to come at it from a place which really is supported by the scientific research. The most current research we have on behavioral change is that people don't change when you tell them what to do. So you go to your personal trainer, your nutritionist, your doctor, and they tell you, you need to do X, Y, Z, or even your spouse, you need to do this. And then your odds of following through on that, if somebody else tells you to do it, are just so incredibly slim. So that's why this is a fill-in-the-blank, so that you are the expert and the hero in your own story, so that you can find your way through it and find what matters most to you, what are you really good at, and how can you use that information to address whatever issues you're trying to address in your life. So I just, I really wanted to make it fun and exploratory. Hmm. I'd like you to explain a couple of uh, facets of this book uh, in terms of its framework. Uh, The the sort of big layout is in three uh, long sections. The situation, the solution, the payoff. Uh, Explain why the book has this fundamental framework and what you think is helpful about that framework. Yeah, so... um I tell people that if they want to, they can read through the whole book before and then come back and start filling it in as they go, because getting the full picture of that arc can be really helpful with finding the motivation to do whatever you want to do. So the situation is the first section, and you can't you can't make any changes until you know where you are and until you understand and accept and make peace with that. So... you come at it from a place of observation rather than judgment. So where am I? What's not working? What are the routines and rituals that are happening every day in my life? And we explore 10 areas of life where you might find some of those answers um, in the situation. Then you find those questions about what matters and what you're good at, what are your favorite things, what do you really love, what pulls you forward, what has pulled you forward in the past in your life. So that's the first section. The solution is where you get to find your way. There's a lot of questions in this section, many of which I say, find what it is that you're focused on, do that, and then keep moving. Don't get bogged down in the whole thing. Um, But in the solution, you're picking the area of life that is feeling, that's calling you to do something about it. And then figuring out the ways to do it, the nitty-gritty of those ways to do it. And you also make um, what I call an emergency plan in that section where you pick 
basic reinforcements where when you're in free fall and you can't see straight, these things you know will ground you and give you some peace along the way. Hmm. And then the third section is the payoff, and that's really my favorite. That is where the, the, the chapters in that book are power, peace, and presence. So what, what kind of power would be unleashed in your life if you were able to quiet some of those voices of guilt and frustration and explore and play around? And then uh, what kind of grounding and peace can you get by having the knowledge that you're capable of handling these things when they come up? And then who gets to be, you know, what, who, who gets to have swagger in this life? Who gets to stand in who they are and show up fully for what it is that they love? And that comes back to the caretaking and the being in this part of life where you're either raising kids or caring for parents or uh, trying to work all the time and just finding how can you show up fully in your life and what does that look like for you specifically? Hmm. I appreciate that one of the first chapters in the first section called The Situation is, is uh, titled 10 Areas of Well-Being. And I really think it's helpful to have this right off the bat because it, it helps us realize that uh, when it comes to one's own well-being, we're talking about a lot of different things and, and many things that are, are deeply interconnected and that really should not be thought of uh, in isolation from one another. And yet, it's really just important to, to be reminded that there are a lot of things that contribute to our sense of well-being, and, uh, and, uh, and it's important to, uh, to acknowledge that and, uh, and to nurture them. Uh, how did you come up with this list of, of, of 10 areas of well-being? So there's a lot of wellness wheels that you see, you know, if you look online, you can see a wellness wheel where it's a circle, and I have a version of this on, on my own website that shows all of these different areas. And I felt like a lot of the ones that I saw in my studies were not complete in, in my mind. Like um, one area that doesn't get mentioned a lot is voice. Are you able to, A, know what you believe, and are you able, who, who in your life allows you to be yourself and to speak your mind openly and freely? Things like that where you're not, you know, people think of fitness and they think of um, diet and, and exercise as sort of that's what health and wellness is. But time, what are the rhythms of our days? What are the routines that happen again and again? How do we spend the tiny little increments of our time, and how can we take some of those back? Um, money gets um, ignored a lot. Money and career, um, and then there's others. Uh, relationships in your life, um, sleep is a big one for people. Hmm. You take us through uh, all kinds of different exercises that can be helpful, and one that I am especially uh, interested to have you talk about a little bit is... Uh, a set of pages that begins with the people you love and then a couple pages later, your turn. Explain, <laughs> uh, explain to our listeners what this exercise is all about and why it is so important to fully complete it. So sometimes it's really hard to know what we're good at, what comes really naturally to us. Um, so what I do is I sort of flip the script on you. So at the beginning, I don't ask you to try to figure out what you're good at. Um, cause these are the skill sets 
that have come naturally to you since you were little and that you can build on going forward. Um, so I ask you to think about the people you love the most. What are the things about them that you appreciate, that you see them, um, the, the skills they exercise freely and effortlessly in their lives? And so it's pretty easy to identify those when you think about, you know, your mom or your best friend. Um, so you can do that, and then I, I flip it back on the reader and then say, okay, what are these skills that you have? And there's an exercise in there where you can text these people that you love, and you can say, hey, these are the three strengths that I see in you. What would you say are my biggest strengths? So that if you're having a hard time figuring it out, often the people around you are able to see it a lot more clearly than you are. I think that is such an interesting idea, and I appreciate that you're you're willing to do it because I think sometimes we find books about this that seem to operate from the uh, the assumption that all of this is about me, <laughs> and that one of the <laughs> mistakes we tend to make is looking too much at other people and envying them or copying them or emulating them in ways that sort of negate who we really are supposed to be. And I, I, I've, I've always thought that's, although those are all potential pitfalls in the way we live our lives, uh, I've always thought that that is going way too far and that we have a lot to learn from each other and especially from the people in our lives that we, we most admire. Yeah, and you know, the core of this book is really about kindness. It's about kindness toward ourselves when we're trying to make these changes. And ultimately, by the end of the book, we zoom out and we see this common shared humanity that we all have. And what does it mean to be kind both to ourselves and to others? And how can we take that out into the world? Hmm. Let me just ask you real quick about a couple of other kind of intriguing uh, moments in the book. Uh, tell our listeners what the emoji volcano is. <laughs> So you've been in your town of favorite things, which has a canine mayor, which is really one of my favorite parts of the mm. book. Um, uh, but you, so you've been exploring what are the what are your favorite things in the world and in life, and they're all in this cozy, happy little town of favorite things. And then all of a sudden, you look up and you see that there's this emoji volcano that's about to explode and destroy this town of favorite things. But earlier on, we learned that whatever you discover in this town, and there's a Mr. Rogers quote in there that I take it from, but um, so whatever you've discovered in this town is something you can take with you to all phases, all areas of your life, no matter where you go. So these things, love can't be destroyed by this emoji volcano. So the volcano has devil horns, and um, <laughs> it's about to explode. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it's, it's just uh, it's an image of, like, oh, we can't all just rest on our laurels once we found our favorite things. We have to figure out how to take them forward into whatever's coming around the bend. Exactly, and uh, I think you make that serious point in, in such a fun way. You do talk a bit in this book about sabotage, <laughs> as in self-sabotage. Mm -hmm. uh, what would be a couple of your chief words of warning for, for people to, to be aware of this possibility and, in a sense, to combat or counteract this tendency that, probably just about all of us have at certain points in our lives. Yeah, so it's it's completely common to <laughs> say, okay, well these are the these are the um things that I hope these are the things that matter to me the most. 
And in the process of trying to figure out how to how to work with those, we might we might undercut them. We might find ways of like, um, for example, the the example that I give in the book is that I had a struggle with body image and eating disorders when I was younger, and the the food itself became a balm. Even though the eating disorder was extremely destructive, it was also supporting many of the things that, that worked for me and, and held me up in my life. So I had to start to say, okay, I'm just going to let that be what it is and try to find ways to fill in around it to support those same needs and those same values in healthier, more productive ways. And over time, those reinforcements coming from the outside start to sort of fill in your life and crowd out the bad things. And the bad things tend to pass a lot easier that way. So it's really, again, it's about kindness and lack of judgment so that you can approach this stuff with an open heart. Hmm. You, of course, envision people going on this full journey start to finish. Uh, Is it possible to benefit from your book even if one, for whatever reason, chooses not to do that? Absolutely. In fact, I instruct at the beginning of the second section of the book, don't try to do all of this. (laughs) Pick your topic, answer these questions, and then move on to the next. Or read through the whole book and then come back and do whatever you want to do. I think it's really, really important to pick and choose. You definitely can't tackle all the things. I think I threaten you with being eaten by dragons if you try to do that. (laughs) (laughs) The book, again, is called The Habit Trip, A Fill-in-the-Blank Journey to a Life on Purpose. It's published by Running Press, the author Sarah Hayes Coomer. Sarah Hayes Coomer, thank you so much for giving the world... uh, this wonderful book. I can imagine it really being of great help to a lot of people as they enter this new year, uh, hoping for a better days and for a, a better self. I appreciate you joining me today on The Morning Show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.